For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is On the Fence with Monica Oxsonnet. Welcome back to On the Fence. We have yet another episode and we have probably one of my favorite people because he means a great deal to me, uh, Dr. Doug Gardner, who is my sports psychologist, uh, who has gotten me to the Olympics, seriously, because otherwise I don't think I would have ever, ever made it, but welcome to the show. Thank you, Monica. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Of course. I mean, again, you, like I said, you played a huge role in me qualifying. Um, I'm sure you're going to say otherwise, but I know for a fact, I would have never made it without your help. (laughs) Well, it's always a a symbiotic relationship, but uh, you were the one doing the fencing. I was just the one talking. So (laughs) yes, that's true, but you definitely guided me. Well, thank you. It's very nice. Do you remember when we started working together? Was it Olympic year or was it 2015, the year before that? It was the year before you were like ranked 15th, I believe in the U S at the time and frustrated and you needed to get to that number one through four spot. And we started talking and things started working out in your direction. So um, it was getting ready to the lead up for, for Rio. Yeah, it was, it was, it was also a slow moving train, but I remember coming off 2014 season was the best season of my life. I had three top 16s, two or three top 32s. I felt amazing. And then it's not like I started doing less. I kept doing more and more because I'm always hungry to do better. But all of a sudden, like nothing clicked for me and I couldn't make it past day one, which again, I went off the best season of my life to having the worst results ever. And I didn't know what to do. And I was already thinking about quitting. And then our mutual friend, Mike DeSaro, he's like, Hey, I think you should talk to this guy. I don't know what's going on with you, but maybe he can help. And I think we started talking when I was in Portland or like right before I flew to Portland. I feel like I remember that. And then going to Korea, I think that was like the first time I made it to day two in a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. It was. I yeah. Remember, I remember the Skype call the night before. So, I don't. I, uh, I definitely was Yes. And who wanted? But I, I think you raised a really interesting point right off the bat. Like, the, you know, sport has no memory. So it's just because we won or we lost before doesn't mean there's any guarantee of that moving forward. And the, the interesting aspect is when you're doing well, you expect to continue doing well. And then all of a sudden, a word you didn't use, but I think you were alluding to is you were trying more, you were putting forth more effort, you were trying to be more successful. So you're focusing more on those results and the outcomes, which I mean, it was, of course, cliche to a certain police, we know process versus outcome, right. But I think you were having this high expectation of yourself, which is perfectly natural. Most of this is just you know, common sense, human behavior that, that we're doing well, therefore we should do better. And then all of a sudden, sometimes what happens is the harder we try, the worse we do. And that creates mental tension, physical tension, poor decision-making, fenciness, and I don't have to tell you this, such a split second sport, that that's the difference oftentimes. And, and I think that's where you were when we first started talking together. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I, I mean, yeah. And everything, like I said, it was a slow moving train. Cause even afterwards I did make that top, I think I made like top 32 because I defense the Chinese girls. So I think that's what it was. But then mm-hmm. even still, even though I had that result, I think the next two still weren't good. And then I remember the beginning of this season also of that last season, Olympic qualifying season, I also wasn't doing well. Cause I remember I almost quit after Boston where I got <laughs> annihilated by this one fencer. I think I lost like 15, three or something. It was awful. And I mean, and then things finally clicked, which was also crazy to me, but. 
<laughs> well, when the talent's there and it's about, you know, good decision-making, good thinking, good, good preparation, um, mental preparation in, in terms of integrating that into your physical work, I think that made all the difference. It was really about you working on areas of your game you needed to work on uh, that would come up and people could take advantage of. And, you know, part of that is physical, but a lot of that is mental because people tend to avoid working on the things they know they need to get better at. And for you, one of those, I think, was conditioning and, and training off the strip. And that I think is very common for a lot of fencers we're on the strip and you're fencing and you're fencing and you're fencing. And therefore you think that that's, you know, training. And of course it is, but you had to take care of your body. You were taking, you were dealing with some nagging injuries at that time as well. And did you, were you coming back from knee surgery? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I had knee surgery in 2012, but it still acts up from time to time. Actually, now it acts up less somehow. Right, but. right. But I think that's what was an issue for you when we first started talking. And so I had asked you, like, how much work are you doing just to take care of your knee? And there wasn't as much training around doing preventative work or your physical therapy exercises and things like that. And once again, I, you know, you've heard this from me many times, but I say for every physical action in sport, there's a mental, you know, related mental component to it. And, and so if we're not taking care of ourselves, then that impacts our ability to have confidence because confidence really only comes from knowing that you're doing things that are helping you make yourself better, which is competence. And so I think by taking control of, of your body, taking control of making sure that you were doing everything you could to be healthy was a real critical component for you. And then added that aspect into working and trying to up your game in terms of getting better as a fencer um, were two really critical components. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, okay. So who have you worked it with in the past? I think that's important to give your street cred. I know you're very humble and you don't talk about <laughs> things like that often, but this is your flag. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I started, I've been doing this now 23 years as a professional and then add on another six years of graduate school and internships. So I'm pushing 30 years of working with athletes from the mental side of performance, which is kind of crazy to think as I get older. But I, I my first job, um, well, let's just back it up for a second because I know you're going to like this. My my postdoc internship was at Penn State University. Yes. So, um, so I spent a year. That's right. So I spent a year at Penn State um, back in 1997. And then um, after that, I was got hired by the Boston Red Sox. So I worked in Major League Baseball for the Red Sox specifically six years, uh, 10 years in total. And then I moved to the NFL where I worked for the NFL Players Association. In between that, I've had a private practice working with youth athletes all the way through the collegiate and now Olympic and professional level. Um, you're my sec second Olympian, um, Olympic athlete I've ever worked with. And over the last three years, I've been moving into the um, field of professional video game playing, esports. Um, I'm a kind of a competitive junkie and I like going places where no one's gone before. And so um, I started out as the youngest sports psych person working in professional sports back in 1998. And now I'm the oldest guy in esports is what I like to say. So um, pretty interesting road I've, I've taken. Yeah, definitely like the full spectrum of it all. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so um, have I come a long way since we started working together? You're asking me or you're asking yourself? I'm asking you. I know the answers <laughs> as well, but I'm interested in your yeah, Most definitely. And, and clearly, this is, I think, one of the beauties of the sport of fencing is that you, you can't compete as long as your body holds up as you get older. And so a lot of sports, the athletes tap out in their early 20s, mid 20s at the, at the most. And if you couple that with psychosocial development and personal development and growth, uh, a lot of individuals don't reach that, that nice sweet spot of like growing as a person and growing as a performer. And I think for you, you're in that spot right now. And, and so you're able to bring in a level of maturity that you didn't have four years ago six years ago, like I always ask people to think back how they were when they were 20 or 18 or something like that. And so we all roll our eyes when we start to think about that. But I think that 
your ability to really understand and compete in the moment and understand that touch to touch is it just changes. Um, I remember one very vivid conversation you and I had when you were struggling and I, I asked you this question and I, I kind of knew the answer, but I, I wanted to lay it out to you. And I said, you know, have you beat every fencer you fenced? You said, yes. I said, have you lost to every fencer that you fenced? Yes. I said, so you've, you've beaten, you've lost every fencer that you've competed against. Cause at your point, you're at such a high point of the pyramid that you're continually fencing the same people. And, yeah. and, and, and so putting and and, I think that's what happened is you learned how to manage winning and losing because when we're winning, we're elated, we're excited and we don't really like, there's a chance to not learn from that. And then with the losing, of course, it's just this down downward spiral. We get so frustrated, but then once again, we don't learn. And I think that, that your emotional regulation um, as you've matured, as we've worked together, as we've talked, um, has been, you know, the key to your success is the ability to understand that things aren't going to go right, but it doesn't mean that you can't change that on the next touch, the next match, uh, all these different kinds of elements. So I, I've seen tremendous growth from you um, in these areas. It's interesting. I feel like I still have so, so much to go. So it's interesting to hear from your side. But I mean, yeah, I definitely do see a difference of I mean, I'm still definitely emotional on this trip because I, I mean, I care a lot and yeah. I mean, I don't handle any loss well initially. I mean, obviously I go back and I think about it, but I don't think I ever really stopped to analyze the differences in the days of me competing well and versus competing not well, which is actually going to be something that I ask of what you think the difference is, but I would stop and I would think of, you know, what did I do differently in this situation? And why did I, why was I successful versus on this other day where I also felt great? So like I said, I never really stopped to think about, it. I was like, cool, I won that day next. Like, we don't need to worry about that. I didn't do badly. Um, but then that changed. So speaking of which, so what do you think is the difference between the days that I, cause we usually talk before I compete or right. and afterwards. Um, so what do you think is the difference between my good competition days and my bad competition days? Well, I'll back that up to say, you know, what I think you've improved on the most is your preparation. And so for me, it's, it's, I use the analogy of, you know, in our, in my line of work, people will say, you got to teach your athletes to be confident. And I'm always like, well, how do you do that? Like, what is, what does confidence really mean? And to me, my definition of confidence is developing competence. The more I'm competent at something, the more confidence I'm going to have as a result. It's not a state of mind. It's a state of preparation. And I think, and fencing, like a lot of sports, but fencing falls victim to this. And this is where it's very similar to um, video games and esports is that your, your practices, you have to have an opponent to practice against. Yeah. Oftentimes you can do some individual work, but at the end of the day, the mentality in fencing is when you're practicing is to have an opponent on the other side of the strip so you can practice. And I think, and that's what I see in esports. and you have to have another team to practice with to really practice. And so if I think that in fencing, you can really just blur through practice, just go to practice, mindlessly go through your work, get your touches, have good bouts, have bad bouts, and there's no purpose behind there. So if, if practice is, is, is mindless, then all of a sudden we step onto the performance arena and this now counts, then we're having a shift of our mindset from our preparation to our performance. And there usually isn't a one-to-one -one correlation. And that's why a lot of our work and a lot of the work I do with most of my athletes is trying to get them to be more psychologically aware and purposeful in their preparation, because that's where you know you're getting your work done. You know you're working on certain things. It might not be perfect every day, um, but at the end of the day, if you go in with purposeful preparation, that's going to transfer into competition. And I think that's where you grew more. And, and because you would just go through your practices, you could get frustrated with your coach, you could get frustrated with your environment, but at the end of the day, you didn't necessarily step in going, I'm going to work on X, Y, and Z, and I'm not going to really worry about the end result in practice because I know I'm going to need these things when it comes down to competition. So that to me was probably one of the biggest areas that we worked on was, was making sure that you're getting more out of your practice 
and knowing what you're working on instead of just kind of going through the motions thinking that you were working hard, but not necessarily working smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would like to a certain degree have things that I wanted to work on, but it wasn't, I mean, I think for, I think the biggest one was like the mental aspect of different things that, I mean, I don't remember examples because there were so many, but of like you being like, okay, well this week in practice, I want you to focus on this aspect from the mental game. And I, I think that was a huge thing because when you're in the heat of the moment, you're not really like thinking about your mental game. You're thinking about the touches and how to win, but having that already like integrated in my head and just being like part of my pattern was a lot easier to then transfer over into the competition. So that for me, I think that was one of the biggest changes that I experienced. Part of my pattern was a lot easier to then transfer over into the competition. So that for me, I think that was one of the biggest changes that I experienced. Yeah. And I think we did that in such a way where it wasn't, um, you know, there's this aspect in, in my line of work where people just kind of rely on what we call cognitive behavioral techniques of just taking a deep breath and clearing your mind and a variety of different things that in, in some ways are, are very high level skills. And when we introduce them to athletes who haven't really understood or even thought about this, it, it can turn people off tremendously. I, I don't know how many sports psych people you have heard talk in the past but oftentimes athletes get turned off by it because it's an oversimplification. Um, but the fact remains that in between touches, there's a built-in amount of time before you get back out onto the strip. And how do you use that time to think through things and make decisions and process what just happened? And it happens in real time, but four, five, six, seven seconds, whatever that might be, there's no definitive number using that time to think more appropriately and practice thinking about the things you need to think about working through your emotions, because that's the thing, like you're an emotional, passionate person and an athlete. And, and why would I ever want to take that away from you? I have no issue with you or anybody I work with getting mad or frustrated or screaming because they're elated after a touch. Uh, I want that. That's the competitiveness at the same time we have to take the next step in our thinking next. Okay. That happened. What's next. And that involves, that involves thinking. And that's the key. I think difference between my approach and others in the industry. And I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people want to try to help you as the athlete, not think. And I'm, I'm just the opposite. I, I think our, our biggest weapon is our brain and we have to utilize that time to be excited, be frustrated, have the emotional response, and then practice coming back to what do I need to think about here before I step back out on the strip? And that's no different in fencing than it is in tennis. It is in golf. It is in any sport. Every sport has its thinking time. Some there's a long time to think. Other times there's not, but you still have that. And so how you use that time is really important. And I think that's what was important for you in your practice. You were integrating this process into after a touch, you would utilize and think through and deal with your emotions and then take the next step in your thinking and start becoming a good decision maker and then make a decision about what you're going to do and then go act on it. And if it didn't work out, you had the skill set to be able to adapt and adjust accordingly to what your opponent was doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, I mean, I, I hate asking for help and I help, I hate relying on people, which (laughs) at at this point, you know, but I think what really won me over was, I don't know how, at what point in our conversation, but like this one, I was like, no, like we're going to get along really well was when I was telling you of how I worked with a sports psych. And I told them, I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I feel about this whole thing because I told them that I'm nervous. And their response was, don't be nervous. And you're like, no, that's stupid. I like, I want you to, to be nervous because that means that you care. And when you said, I was like, huh, like, all of a sudden, like one, I feel normal. And two, that's so much more helpful for like, I'll feel myself now getting nervous at like a competition. It's like, yeah, like this is like, duh, I feel nervous. Like I care. So this is great. Like I'm ready. I care. I've obviously been working at this. So it's, I mean, there's definitely like aspects of mindset that are are really important that I don't know. 
I, I like that you like normalize things instead of being like, no, this is bad. You shouldn't be feeling this. You're like, no, it's normal. It's human. Yeah. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? I mean, that's, that's people ask me all the time. Like, what, what is your approach to your work? I go common sense. I mean, there's no mystery behind it. Uh, I'm, I'm competitive as hell too. And so there are times where I get emotionally frustrated and I have to practice what I preach. And, and I, I have no issue with myself getting frustrated and emotional um, when I'm coaching or when I'm doing certain things and I can't really compete as much as I used to as I'm getting older, but it, I think it's human nature. And so instead of trying to spend so much mental energy, not doing that is a waste of time. It's it's deal with it and move on. A lot of times the issue is that people don't move on for that emotional state. They stay there because exactly. in some weird way, it feels better to be upset, frustrated and angry. And it's almost like um, setting up, a, a, you know, like setting yourself up mentally to prepare to lose and just giving yourself a reason is to do it because I was frustrated or I had a bad day or something bad happened to me. And so that emotional thought process is where people often get stuck in. And at the end of the day, you cannot just sit there on the strip and just do mindfulness training. You can't just train with this like peaceful mindset and then go into battle and have just everything happening and moving so fast you can slow yourself down, but you can't, you, you don't have enough time to do all of the things that you would, some people would advocate in practice when you're not having your weapon in your hand. I want you to be able to do this while you're competing and while you're practicing and when you have your weapon in your hand, not take some mental skills and apply them when you're not at, at your studio fencing. It, it's, 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 um, that's a, a big disconnect and it's a pet peeve of mine in my industry. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, that was the biggest thing where I was like, nope, like this is, this is my kind of guy. This is, I see this actually going somewhere. So I definitely loved that one. Um, what do you think is the most important thing when it comes to mental strength for an athlete? It's a good question. I, I think it's the way I look at it is every time you step out to compete, you're putting yourself at, at the risk of losing. And when people are thinking about the fact that they may lose, that's what really holds them back. I have a few different definitions. I've shared one on confidence, one about competitiveness is a, a true competitor is someone who competes regardless. You, you are assuming that you actually might lose by going out there and giving your all. And, and that's something, in, and, and in fencing, let's be honest, you have other variables that impact whether you win or not that are realistic. You, yep. you have referees. And yep. <laughs> so we know that everything I could, you could have gotten the touch, but the ref just liked the person from Russia or from another, whatever. Right. I mean, there's so many different variables and yep. that's not an excuse. That's the fact. That's the that's to me one of the biggest challenges in your sport than other sports is that it's it's not always who got the touch got the point and so how do you manage that and and so that is critical to me is knowing that you're going to go out there and you have to lay it on the line and you have to risk losing in order to go out there and compete and if you're worried about losing you're not really competing if you feel like you have to win you're not really competing because there's always something in terms of your thoughts that come after that. And yeah, so, yeah. And so for me, you have to know, and that's why we brought this up before about the fact that you beat every fencer that you fence and you've lost to every fencer that you fenced. And, and so the fact is, is that you know that you've won and you've lost. And so being okay with the fact that you've lost by doing everything that you could possibly do to win is really important than losing and realizing after the fact that, oh, I got in my own way. I was emotional. I was frustrated. I wasn't able to think clearly. I wasn't able to make decisions. And, and then now that's like, I call it a double entendre. It adds to your own frustration because you know, you didn't even give yourself a chance to win and, right. and to compete. And that's, that's where I think, you know, you and, and, and others that I work with, that's the part is like, I want people to give them themselves permission to lose because if we're so worried about the either or, we never really get to the thing that we need to do. And that's compete regardless. Yeah, I agree. Definitely the moments where I'm worrying about winning is where I'm like overthinking, overanalyzing. That was, that's been my problem 
uh, last year when I was competing and I knew that's something that I do. And if I didn't active, like it's my habit. So if I didn't actively like stop myself from doing it, I would fall into it. And I think I said that in like almost every phone call we had last year, if I was like, I kept thinking about like scoring the point and what to not do wrong in order to not to fail on a touch. And I was like, I, I feel like an idiot because I know that's wrong. But if I'm not actively reminding myself that this is what I can't be doing, um, I'm not going to succeed. And then the tournament that I did win last year in January, I mean, it didn't like, I didn't even think about winning or losing. Like I, 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 I walked in there and I knew I was winning, which is like, obviously the feeling that I want, because there was, I didn't care what anybody else was doing. And I mean, this is, I think this is exactly what we want whenever I compete if, of like somebody scored the other point. I was like, that's fine. You can have that one. Like I'm ready for like the next seven or whatever. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't caring about winning because I knew I was winning. I, and Great. I mean, I'm not going to talk about how I get there because I'm, we're, I'm not ready. I'm not retired. We're not telling everybody my secrets, but yeah, that's definitely been a huge difference um, of me competing, of me caring about winning specific touches and winning the matches versus just going out there and hitting people. Right. And we had talked the, the meet before that. And I think part of everything for you is you were a half step too slow on everything because you were still kind of deciding while doing and I that's I remember this conversation that we had and the the great part of it was that you were able to since we've talked so much and we know each other and we have a, a, a relationship like this that you were able to take that information understand it and apply it the next day immediately yeah and, and that's that's something is is a process for everybody who's working on the mental side of any kind of performance is that it just doesn't happen overnight it, it this was about a not just a culmination but this was about four years of work and you becoming self-aware in the moment that's the that's the the critical piece of all of this is that when we become self and situationally aware we can adapt and adjust but if we don't, then we aren't. We're just going to be fencing out of anger, fencing out of fear, fencing out of something on the, the emotional continuum is what I call it. And, and, right. and so to get yourself back to being objective is, is a critical skill that I just think, if you think about how many times you practice fencing on and, and how many touches occur in a, in a practice meet or, you know, day with, with your, with your teammates or whomever, how many touches do you have an opportunity to practice that with? I mean, hundreds a day. And if you add that up over a series of days, you're integrating how to think through things in practice so that when it comes time to competition, we're able to take that same mindset. What I, I kind of call it a normal mindset because I'm trying to train in one mindset and compete in that same mindset, not I'm training in one mindset where I'm at peace and I'm cool and I'm comfortable and I'm focusing on kind of these behaviorisms and then I get to a competition and the anxiety and the and the nervousness kicks in and then all of a sudden it's not normal anymore right so you know I mean you you know remember what we talked about before the 2016 Olympics when you were when you were there <laughs> Do you remember what we talked about um no that was actually going to be one of my questions so I love that you already segue in um no I remember very little because um I have never been that nervous in my entire life, mm -hmm. um, which was funny because the moment I started competing, I actually wasn't nervous. Um, so I have zero recollection of what we spoke about right before the Olympics. Um, <laughs> See, I do. I, I do. <laughs> I do. Um, and because what happened was what, what basically what we talked about was getting to the site and having your aha moment there, like, oh my God, I'm in the Olympics. This is unbelievable. And acknowledge it up front. It's a big thing for me is like, we know that we're doing something really big in our lives. And oftentimes people try to say, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not like mentally keep it down. And I wanted you to go up there and like spend a little time and look around and go, oh my God, I'm in the Olympics. This is absolutely crazy. And it was my, my daughter's bat mitzvah. So oh, yeah, yeah, I do I, remember that. Yeah, so I so I left the TV on because we had the bat mitzvah. Then we had the little luncheon, and I was like, I don't know when I'm going to see her fencing. I literally walked into you fencing, and the announcer saying, "You know, Monica's just lost the last. I think it was four touches or something like that." And I was like, "Oh well, <laughs> it didn't work." <laughs> and then and then 
after we talked about that day, um, you said, you know, I got on the strip. I wasn't thinking. I was really nervous. And then after I lost four touches in a row, I finally like woke up and went, okay, let's get to business. And then you destroyed the fencer that you were fencing and that led to your guys bronze medal. Um, I mean, yeah. but that was, that was really funny because I literally walked in the house. There you are on the strip and you had just lost four touches in a row. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so much for that. But now, now you can take that experience and that's, what's so important. No, nothing can replicate the Olympics. Nothing yeah. can replicate. No competing at the highest level that you're ever going to compete in your entire lives, expect for experience. And now you have that experience. Yeah. But it's funny because, um, I guess you forgot the beginning part of that. So like I said, I was the nervous that I've at most ever been. Um, I could barely sleep that night. I know we had to get up super early to get to the venue for whatever right. stupid reason, but my, I was so nervous. My rib popped out and we, I couldn't turn my head fully. And we like kept trying to pop it back in, but there was just so much tension in my body that my body was like, no, we're not like, we're not moving. So that was my first thing. Um, so we competed, uh, we got whatever happened, what happened against Russia. That's for another episode. But then we had our, and I hadn't competed yet. And then they agreed that the two alternates were going to fence off for the medal. Basically at like, they're going to put us into the third to last match. Like we get, we're the ones that get to decide of who wins, whatever. And I remember the, the coach came up to me and told me be ready. And I was like, Oh, cool, cool. And then I was like, what? And I went from like warming up, like running around. Cause we had like a three, four hour break between the matches. I'm like, I was trying to like have fun, warm up, whatever. But he like said that all of a sudden my body just like went stiff. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm fencing for the medal. Why are, why are we, no, it's okay. I don't, all of a sudden I don't want to compete. It's okay. Um, and you weren't there, but we had the other sports psych and I was kind of like, Hey, can you just like walk with me to the bathroom? We don't really have a lot of time. And again, I start speaking like now, cause I'm literally remembering this like a mile a minute. She didn't get to say a word to me. Um, but I kind of was like, okay, this is fine. Like I fenced this girl before I actually beat her before. And that's fine. Like, this is the same thing as any other tournament. Like this is, but like, you know, it's, what's the difference here at the Olympics? It's just the Olympics, no big deal. And I was like, <laughs> and I just need to like go out. I have five touches. I win my five touches. I get off this strip and it's fine. Nothing's thing's going to happen. Like I've been here before. And I'm like, like I said, I'm like running to go to the bathroom and like on the way back. And she's like, so do you need me to say anything? And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine now. And she's like, okay you're good. You're sure. And I was like, yeah, I'm perfectly fine. Like, no worries about it. And I was like, I put myself somehow in the zone, even though I was very panicked logically. Um, I remember my coach talking to me right before I stepped down. He's like, Monia, you can do this. You can do this. I was like, are you sure? Like remind <laughs> me. Cause I'm not sure. And he's like, no, you got this. Like we've been preparing. I was like, okay. Okay. So I had a whole plan and I scored. It was four one. I recently watched, rewatched this and I'm so embarrassed about it, but Again, when I kind of think of what happened, it makes sense. Um, so I was winning 4-1. I was killing her. But then my cord came out and they spent time fixing it. And I had time to realize of where I was and what was happening. And then like, I literally remember being like, oh my God, I'm at the Olympics. We're ahead. What if I blow this? Right. Everybody's going to see this. Can I even go back in the country? Will I ever be allowed to fence again? Oh my God, this is crazy. And if it wasn't for these, for these, whatever, I mean, it seemed like seven years that I was spending talking about to myself about the Olympics. Um, if had this not happened, I I'm almost positive. I would have scored the next touch and got off and then been like, I just went in the Olympics. But, um, so then everything all of a sudden started happening in slow motion and I couldn't like, she'd be hitting me and then I'd go to block her and like, nothing was working. And then I remember my one teammate screaming one more. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I just need one more. Like, let me end this whole thing. I don't want to be competing right now anymore. Like I'm done. Uh, and I score that last one. So that's kind of what the train wreck was. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, and it is, I mean, and that's the thing you could mentally prepare for things as best as you can. And the moment still can just be so large and so looming, but it, that's, that's the trick. It's, it's, there's no magic pill or as I, as I joked with you the magic fairy dust that I'll sprinkle on you and therefore you're going to think perfectly you were able to ability to adapt and adjust and overcome in, internal thoughts external situations is a skill that has to be developed just like any physical skill that you develop in fencing yeah 
Yeah, that was that was one of my craziest moments. Oh my god, thinking back on that one. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, do you think there's something that most or almost every athlete struggles with? Do you think there's like anything across the board that's pretty common? Yeah, I, I'd say uh, the, what I call the mighty e-word expectations. Um, people tend to have such high expectations for themselves that they end up having low expectations for themselves which means that they don't really ground themselves in reality. Um, I, I think it's always important for any athlete I work with to find out where they are now in their own development, personally, professionally, um, what they do in their sport, what it is that they want to achieve in their sport, and, and then look back to where they were and look ahead to where they want to be. And I think that's a real important aspect that gets lost because if you do have room to grow as a fencer, especially in fencing, because you can, if I'm working with a 16, 18 year old fencer, they theoretically still have 10 years in their career if they so choose to stay with it. And you, you notice, and that's one of the reasons why I'm fascinated with fencing is that you can intersect physical maturity and mental maturity together to be able to produce a fencer uh, that, that is able to put it all together. And so that to me is really critical. A lot of people put so much pressure on themselves to have to perform at their greatest now. And if they're 13 years old and they're trying to play college baseball or pick a sport, right? Like they still have three or four years to grow and develop. And, and so my big thing is, is like, let's understand where we are and build in some time so that our expectations could be grounded in where we are now being realistic about that and then start thinking about what I can do in order to get myself better. And whether it's the mental game or it's just using your brain to make yourself work physically smarter. And that's really what it's about. And so for me, um, maintaining realistic expectations is the most critical component that I'm really building my work around. And then secondly, it's really developing the intrinsic motivation to want to work, to get better, to, to work on the areas I love to eloquently say you suck at. Right. Um, most people avoid that. Most people avoid working on the things they're not good at because they don't want to show that in front of their peers. They don't want to show that to coaches. They don't want to show it at the higher the level they get to. But at the end of the day, that's going to come out. It's someone's going to reveal it and someone's going to take advantage of that. And that's what's going to prevent you from getting to the next level if you want to. So why not work on something you suck at and watch yourself get better at it? And the better you get at it, the more you want to do it, which really is the definition of intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Interesting. Um, okay. So what do you think I ultimately, when I did start making those changes, I mean, I, I have my theory on what it was, but so I started, we went off after Boston where I did miserably to Athens, Belgium, Korea, Olympic year, where I made two 32s and the 16, which I needed because I was 11th in the country in that January and everybody already wrote me off. Right. Um, but like I said, I needed all those results right. in order to even have a chance. So do you have a theory on a theory on what I fixed and what ultimately allowed me to perform well under, I guess, an under a lot of pressure, we can even say. Right. It was a tremendous amount of pressure. I vividly remember what the challenge was I put forth to you. I said, you know, every match you have is going to take on greater importance than the one before it. And if you talk about those four leading up to the Olympics, it was going to culminate with the Olympics. So every one of those tournaments was preparation for when it counted the most. And you embraced that. You really did embrace that. I said, you got the next four, you're going to get this one down. And then the next one's going to be more important. And then the second to last is going to be even more important. And the last, so I think we dealt with that up front. And that goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier about just defining your reality, knowing what your challenges in front of you, and then mentally working backwards back to what it is I need to do touch to touch, point to point, um, match to match. I mean, it, 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 it's just dealing with your reality. And I think you did that. You allowed, you, you took your competitive mindset and yes, the outcome was always going to be there. It's not like you didn't think about the outcomes and the results you needed, but 
you were able to not think about those while you were fencing. You were able yeah. to like, Michael and I will always, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking with some ignorance. I'm not a fencing coach here, but I always say, trust your eyes. And Michael would say, oh, don't trust your eyes. Um, <laughs> but I wanted you to really trust what you were seeing and act on that and, and, and not second guess yourself. And, and I think that's really what you were doing at that time. And that was the difference of that half step quickness between you and your opponent and getting the touch and not getting the touches is, and then when you or anybody else is so worried about having to get that result, you're that half step slower. And so that was about being decisive in be, using that time in between touches and points to really think about what your strategy was. And I think you really embraced that and you applied that because you also weren't quite, I mean, you knew you had a large gap to fill. And so there wasn't this, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm in the top four right now. And I have to keep my spot versus I have to do these things to go get to my spot. And that is a different mindset that you have to approach things differently from too. So to me, that's what I saw from you. Each You treated each one knowing that the next one was going to be even more important. So I think that took a lot of pressure off of you in the moment to go trust your decision-making in fence. Yeah. I also think, well, I remember like either I said this out loud or I remember saying it to myself, but there is a thing where... I don't remember which one this was. I feel like it was Belgium. So after I did well in Greece, but I kind of was like, listen, like I keep thinking about this and like feeling like I need to prove this to somebody else. Like these could be my last few competitions. I keep doubting myself and keep being afraid of doing shit. Like why, for what reason I walk out of here miserable. The least I can do is just trust what I want to do and trust my decisions and move because we always talk about how moving is so important um, right. which is in the sport. And I mean, I think in, in most sports that's important. Um, but, you know, like, let me trust myself. Let me trust my decisions. Let me not second guess myself. Let me do everything committed. And at least I walk out of here, like not mad at myself for something and like being afraid and, and being too cautious. And let me just have fun and, and hit people and yell, which is my favorite aspect of it. And I, <laughs> that's, I did really well in, like I said, I don't remember what I thought before Greece, because I was the first one, but in Belgium, that was kind of my approach. And, and for Korea, which was the most important one, which I, I didn't need that 16, but that 16 just really solidified things. And it was obviously awesome to have um, heading into the Olympics, knowing that I could do that and I could fence again. But I mean, I had the hardest pool humanly possible. I know my teammates said that to my coach later. I mean, I didn't know at the time, but she was like, what did this, what did Monica do to deserve this pool? And I remember looking at it being like, like, pardon my French, but there's no fucking around here. Like there's right. everybody in, in in this pool is out here to get me. Like there's no easy matches. Like I need to, I need to turn on from the beginning and I just need to be on. And again, I was in that bubble where I didn't care what was happening around me. I was in this, um, but we also talked about this. Like it was this weird bubble that I was just in where people, I had already qualified and I was literally the last person in the world to find out that I had qualified for the Olympics. <laughs> and it, because people were like saying things to me and I was just focused on what I needed to do and competing and being able to do what I wanted to do where I just didn't cut people would say things. And I was like, I don't, I'm really confused by that, but like, okay. And I, I just didn't like everything just like bounced off of me. Like there was no point where it would register because I didn't allow it to, because I just didn't care. I was just focusing on myself. Um, right. But yeah, no, that I mean, that was awesome feeling. And it's funny to look back on, because like I said, I mean, my coach was congratulating me and I was like, he's making a big deal out of me making a 16. Like, I'm not even done. I'm trying to make a top eight. And meanwhile, he's telling me that I qualify for the Olympics, which is really funny. <laughs> I'm pretty Listen, sure you do before people, I did. Right. And, and some people would say, oh, you know, she's describing the zone. But see, you're not describing the zone. You're describing an efficiency of thinking. That, that you were able to parse out all of the other aspects that would be distractions yeah, and focus on what it is that you needed to do. So that's, yeah. so that's not, you know, people will describe the zone. Like, I don't really remember what I was doing. You're describing what you're saying is like, I was purposeful with my thinking and that is what we were training for. Yeah. And anytime yeah. that you've struggled since you've gotten away from that, which isn't your fault. That's, human nature. We're, we're not robots. We can't right. just always do that. And there are going to be things in and outside of our lives and in and outside of our competition that affects things. That's just, that's just human nature. Right. But, but that's when you were, I mean, that's where I think 
the, the practice, having getting more purpose out of thinking through things in practice allowed you to be able to think that way in the most critical times that you were going through at that moment. And, yeah. and, and that's where I think it was not just all coming together because subsequently since then you've been doing that as well. And if anything, you know, motivation had to play a role in some of the tougher years over the last four years, just because you're four years away from the Olympics. What am I fencing for right now? I knew year one was going to be really difficult post Olympics. Yep. And then year two was going to be kind of a struggle. I just, it's just hard. How you, we can't, stay on for four years. We, right. we, and, and you, I thought you did a, in a lot of ways, I thought you did a lot of really good things outside of fencing um, to, to go and explore things that you wanted to do as a person and, and not just preparing for post fencing career. Cause that's, but in some ways you are, but that's not what I think your purpose was. Your purpose was a genuine interest in wanting to do other things. Yeah. And, and uh, so for me, I was like, okay, you know, like I want to give Monica her space to go be Monica. Like, what do we need to be focusing on fencing for? And right now, you know, if, if the results aren't there, there's reasons why is because there's not the intrinsic motivation to really get yourself ready to go and grind at it because that's what it takes. And that's the challenge in the Olympics. And so it, it no different than Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps would take some time off and then get back and start sitting, training seriously and do what he did. And, and so I, I think that that's part of it. We, we just mentally can't stay on for four years at a time. We have to be able to take a break or we're going to get to some point of burnout or some kind of a clinical issue or something that happens to people. Right. Once again, very natural because it's it's based in human human behavior. And so I think that's what I saw last year in your, in your lead up to Tokyo, 2020 Tokyo. Um, you were back where you needed to be, but that road getting there and getting back mentally and physically was a little challenging for you. And yeah. then all of a sudden it was like, we had this one conversation because we've had so many conversations before and you just needed to hear that one aspect. And then all of a sudden there was, there was the Monica I knew, but the better Monica, you were better than yeah. you were in 2016, in 2019 and then lead up to 2020, you were better. You had matured, you had grown um, and, and you're a true professional at what you do. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And I mean, I definitely see a difference of like, I mean, these past few weeks, um, as we've talked about, have been really brutal with with COVID and COVID scares and having, you know, taking, I, I took eight tests already in the last two weeks, <laughs> which is just insane. But um, insane. I'm currently dealing with my, what, my third contact trace? I think my third. I lost track of them at this point. And it's again of... Um, and so I feel like I'm constantly being like kicked down. I have to get back up and then I'm getting kicked back down again and having to reset. But it's, I definitely see the difference of myself of, I have to have like my, my freak out, my breakdown. And then I go, okay, you know, it is what it is. I can't control any aspect. I'm doing what I can from, from my side, but whatever happens from the outside is whatever's happening and I can't control everything. So I can, again, what we always talk about, like, focus on what you can control and just go from there. So that's something that, I mean, definitely has come from you. And I think that's been a huge change over the past year and past four years. Yeah. Well, the devil's in the detail, you know, we can like talk about, Oh, control the controllables. But then the next step in that thinking is what are the things I control? Right. And that's what you're doing. You're allowing yourself to feel or get frustrated or, scared or whatever it is because of everything that we're dealing with. And then you're like, okay, now it's time to get to work and I'm going to go and do what I need to do. And I have a purpose to what I'm doing. And I know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but everybody's not where they're supposed to be. Right. And, and once again, what we built in, I think in the mindset is a little margin for error and seizing on the strength of the fact that you don't need to be at your best to fence at your best. If you're 80% and you can be hundred percent of 80%, then that's better than being feeling like you're hundred percent and fencing at 60%. I mean, it, it, I don't like to sit here and play around with numbers, but it's, it's a mindset of just, you know, dealing with your reality, which you're dealing with and knowing that not everything is perfect, but okay. So what let's go compete and let's see what happens. Be a good decision maker, think through things, make my actions 
And as if I walk off the strip losing, then at least I know I did everything I could to win. And that's what you talked about earlier. And that's the key point to me is you may win or you may lose, but if you can walk out of your competition going, I did everything I could, I thought through things, I made good decisions, I, I did everything physically. Sometimes you just get beat. Sometimes you beat yourself. And I would much rather get beat than beat myself. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. And I think that's kind of not, you know, it's your challenge. That's part of your challenge moving forward. But I think the other aspect of it that's so critical is that you know that and you've been here before. And so to me, having had this experience of what we described and talked about going through to make it in 2016, it's it, structurally, there's, there's some differences clearly, but in some ways there's no difference at all. Yeah, that's true. I still have a uh, pressure to perform and, and do well with a lot of different extra right. outside factors. So no, you're right. That is the same thing. It'll never go away. You and I both know that that's when we were competing, we're naked to the world and we want to win and we don't want to lose. And it sucks when, when, when losing happens. And, and at the end, as long as I know that I did what I could do and I trained and I, and I'm working with purpose and in competition, I'm thinking through things, then what can you do? I mean, the other Olympian I've worked with was a swimmer who swam her PR in the Olympics. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. And got third. She got a bronze. I mean, like it's amazing. She got a bronze and she PR'd, but you know, theoretically she didn't win, but, but philosophically, the question becomes, did she win? She did right. her best she could in the most critical moment. And to me, that's winning. Um, yeah. I don't care if she didn't get first place. And it's the same thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty and, and ugliness of sport. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is, but that's why we do it. That is true. All right. Well, I think, well, I have all my questions covered and I think, I think in general, this episode has, has given, I don't know, it's nice for me to look and listen to at least before I compete, but I think it's, I think it's helpful for other people. And I always get questions about um, my mental game and all that stuff. So that's why I wanted to have you on, but I've answered all my questions. So I really appreciate you coming on. You are a busy man as always. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Listen, my pleasure. It's going to be really um, great to watch, watch you do your thing over the next few months. So um, we'll continue doing what we do and you keep doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, I really appreciate the time. This was fun today. Awesome. And we actually somehow subconsciously see match, which I think is funny. I've been laughing this entire time. Of course. <laughs> great minds think alike. That's right. That's right. So that's uh, that's what happens when you get to know people and work with them for a long time. So we're 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 right there. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Thank okay. you again. No worries. Thank you, Monica. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.